remain standing to honor the gospel of Jesus that comes to us today from Luke, the third gospel, chapter 20. Jesus has just been challenged by the religious leaders on the basis of his authority, on the basis of his patriotism, and now they're going to question his understanding of faith. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife with no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. (coughs) Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married the woman. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For she, for the seven, had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they're like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. (coughs) And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, God is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. For in God, all of them are alive. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Usually I make you pray and then I get, grab a drink of water while you're not looking, but I just got to drink some water. <coughs> Excuse me. Now let's pray. <clears throat> we pray for your Holy Spirit to visit us. We pray for a word that is deeper and truer than any of the rhetoric we can possibly hear on the news today. Something that will transcend this moment. Something that will remind us of who we are and whose we are and what is important in this world. We pray that we might hear that word that will help us be better boys and girls, men and women, in your kingdom, may we not be satisfied with being better people by the world's eyes, but better people in your eyes, your children, beloved by you. In the name of Christ, who shows us your love. Amen. We still have a regular landline phone in our house And it rings on occasion. It rang last week, and for some reason, I instinctively thought, that's my mom. Because my mom always called me on the regular landline phone. She didn't understand that you could call on a cell phone if she didn't have a cell phone. That that didn't work for her. (laughs) So she always called on the landline. Joe, I I can just hear it. 
But of course, my mother died three and a half years ago. So the moment when the phone rang and I thought, oh, it's my mom, was on the one hand a sad moment. But it's also one of those moments where if you'll allow it, you can let your grief become a moment where you're with the person. Where you're there, with the person. My mom was certainly here with me and you last Sunday on our hymn sing Sunday when we sang that old classic, The Old Rugged Cross. Uh, I'm convinced that she bought me a trumpet when I was only in second grade so that I would learn it so that anytime she wanted I could play The Old Rugged Cross for her. She's with me, I think, not just in my memory. It's not just my memory. Her presence comes to me, and it encourages me. It, it understands where it didn't understand before, because she sees clearly now, and she blesses. She had a song that she had from her church in Dayton, Ohio. It was a song that she was always asking me, now, have you given this song to Kathy? It was a song called No More Night, and she would sing me the melody with her kind of old woman warbly voice, and... I would kind of roll my eyes, and the words were kind of cheesy. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. And yet, I realized that behind this song was a deep truth. That those who die in Christ aren't quarantined up in heaven, just you know, hanging around with a harp. But those who die in Christ join the sacred energy of love here on earth and are present with us. The Sadducees were a religious group, much like we're a religious group. But their understanding of God and the things of God was very limited. They thought that this life was all there was. There was no beyond no more i'm not sure why they thought this Uh, they thought that people ended up in sheol this sort of watery grave but they didn't see god in a very big way in fact they thought god was only their god and so when jesus came along and had this bigger understanding of God, that there was more dimensions to life than just this life, beyond rules and control and even beyond death, well, it kind of fried their brains. It messed with their, with their methods and it, it, it confused their logic. They didn't get that, that life was bigger. They didn't understand that there's more than just this life. That just like if you look out at the sky and see the blue, anyone who's been to school knows there's something behind the blue, Right? There's more. Or if you look at the ocean, you'd look at the surface and you see water, but you realize there's a whole world down there, a whole other creation. In that same way, the Sadducees were unable to step outside of this world and see something that was bigger and more beautiful than they could ever dream. So they they saw Jesus as a threat. And in Luke chapter 20, they're trying to trap him. They ask him questions. They ask him, what, what, what are your credentials here? How are you bona fide? By what authority are you preaching? Then they try to ask him about his patriotism. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And then this question that is in our text for today. 
about his hope and understanding about life and death. They take, a, they take something from Deuteronomy chapter 25 that instructs the people, where Moses instructs the people that if a woman uh, has her husband die and there are no children to take care of her in a world where there's no social security, no, no safety net, uh, the family's responsible. The brother of the woman is to take her in and to make her part of the family. It was a, a beautiful arrangement of, of saying we are our brother and sister's keeper. It's not just radical individualism. But the Sadducees take that truth, take that instruction from Moses, and they concoct a crazy story about a woman who had seven husbands. Let's call her Typhoid Sue, okay? She marries a man and he dies, but there's no children, so she marries her, his brother and he dies. And she marries, you know, about four, brother number four or five has surely got to start saying, I'm not eating what you're cooking, whatever that is. And we're not going there. But all seven of them die. Then they say, okay, Jesus, this is the problem. Help us understand this logic. Whose wife will she be? Gotcha, Jesus. And Jesus says that resurrection, being raised from death to life again, is so much more than resuscitation. So much more than just coming back to this world. I mean, I know we all love this world. We all uh, love, wish to retain our bodies and our relationships and our marriages. We would, like it to, we would like for the next life to be just exactly this life, only longer and no death. But Jesus says... The invitation is to step into a whole new world, a whole new reality beyond individualism where it's not about marriage, it's something better. That we're being invited to be part of a movement and a mission of redemption and restoration and reconciliation and reuniting and returning all things, all things to God through the slow and relentless an incarnational work of love. A love that never gives up and never leaves anything behind. A love that will make you whole because it's a love that says we are all ultimately one. Not only is God one, we're one. Some 25 years ago, my wife Terry's best friend and soulmate, Paula passed away from cancer. They'd been friends from childhood. Their families had known each other for a long, long time. And it was an enormous loss. At Paula's death, Paula asked Terry, will you let my daughter Jessie know who I was? Will you, will you tell her about me so that she can know who I was? Jessie was 10 years old when Paula died. As life sometimes happened, we We lost touch. Family situations. We moved to Kentucky. We just sort of lost touch. Terry sent letters, but, you know, Jessie's in high school and in college, and she's busy, and we we just lose touch. But then through the wonders of Facebook, they were reconnected about a year ago, and now when we go to Texas, we always make time to see Jessie, Paula's daughter. When I say that she looks like Paula... I can't explain to you how she is Paula. 
She, she looks like Paula. She has Paula's voice. She has Paula's smile. She, she has her mannerisms. She's raising her own children in the same way that Paula raised her. She's drawn to vegetable gardening and having chickens in the backyard. And she embodies the spirit of Paula. She loves deeply. And she understands what's important in life and what's kind of trivial in life. It's as if Paula lives on in Jesse and in Jake and John and now in Jesse's little two-year-old daughter whose name is Ruby, which was Paula's mother's name. It's an amazing, uh, sacred, mystical reality. We sing the song, When the Saints Go Marching In, how I want to be in that number. To be in that number, to be among the saints of God, is to step back from the ideology of the Sadducees, that radical individualism that that says it's only about me and it's only about now. And you see the world, as someone says, more bigly. You see the world... You're engulfed in the divine love. You become part of that love that never dies. I've been worried about myself this week. I'm wondering, is, am I, if I become a heretic here, is this, is this about reincarnation? I, in my sort of theological defensiveness, I just sort of dismiss reincarnation. I would say, again, to quote someone, wrong. Paula's father, Verlin, was a musician back in the 1960s, kind of a Texas musician. Pretty good musician, played with Willie Nelson back in the 60s. Jesse, his granddaughter, inherited his Gibson guitar, one of these just like John Lennon's guitar, made famous by John Lennon. But it sat in a guitar case for decades. It was kind of beat up when, when he died, and it just sat for decade after decade, but... Recently, Jesse has pulled it out of the closet and found a young man who can restore it to life again. She posted what the young uh, uh, guitar artist said after the guitar was restored. She posted his Facebook reflection on her page, and here's what we read. The coolest part of this, he said, is I got to know the man. I got to know the man who played this guitar. I could see the wear spots on the neck where he held the guitar with his left hand. I could see the places near the hole where he would strum. I could see his strumming pattern, and I could see how he held the guitar by the belt rash on the back of the guitar where his belt rubbed up against it. He wrote, this guitar will now be passed on in her family. And the music will continue. Now maybe you say, maybe you're just talking metaphorically. And maybe I am. I I don't know. But maybe life isn't linear and sequential. Maybe life is more circular sort of like God is circular. 
Jesse went to a concert recently, a Willie Nelson concert. It was a great time. She said the last song, the final encore song, Willie sang Paula and Jesse's very favorite song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Maybe that's what we mean when we say, I'm with you. I'm with you in spirit. My thoughts are with you. We sang it in, the, in, in our church's hymn. Look, ye saints, the cloud of witness gathered round this sacred space. Rise as one. As one. To cheer us onward, all who choose to run the race. They're here. They're here. They're with us. Susan and Mr. Rice and Barbara, Corky, they're they're all here with us. They're encumbered by their bodies. They're here with our bodies and our time. My friend Walt sings a song. Somewhere in between what you can and you cannot see, they're right here. Right here between what you can and cannot see, they're here. Jesus said it this way. The fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself confirmed in the story about the bush when he said he's a God. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these people long dead. God's not a God of the dead. God is a God of the living, for in God, they're all alive. And here's the beauty. Here's what I love. Those who have gone before us, who are here among us, aren't here in order to say, the ways of the past are better. Stick only to the past. It's truer and more in line with God. No, here's what they say. They say, build on what we built. Add to what we've done. Stand on our shoulders and see farther than we're able to see. As the old saying goes, take from the altar of the past the fire, not the ashes. Get rid of all the stuff that is, that is provincial, that is, that is about immediate issues, that are about pride or our idiosyncrasies. You can get rid of all that. I'm saying this to the next generation. But, but take what is good and build on it. And the past will be with you in a powerful, powerful way. My mom believed in a literal heaven. She believed if you had some kind of theological GPS that you could actually locate heaven somewhere up in the stratosphere, probably right next to where Superman's hideaway is. That's the way her mind worked. I don't bring that thinking forward. But I look behind that thinking, and I pull from it the truth That maybe heaven is shorthand. Maybe heaven is kind of an abbreviation to say that we can live on and we can join the love that never ends. Glenn Henson, my beloved history professor, used to describe, define prayer as taking our love energies and joining them to God's love energies. It never dies. It goes on and on. To see and embrace this way of life makes you a citizen of a whole new world. And it means that we have kind of a dual citizenship here. We're citizens of this country, the country of your birth, 
But we're also citizens of a new world whose ultimate power and force for change is love revealed in the person, in the life, the body of Jesus who is the Christ. It's going to take that kind of tough, honest, patient love for the world to change. I know we're all worried about this election. I know we all have anxiety. No matter how you plan to vote on Tuesday, I know we all carry this anxiety that that this is it. We are here today to say there's more. There is God. That God is never done. Jesus said they won't marry anymore. They won't have to marry because the two can't become one. They're already one. We're already going to be united as one. And here's what faith says. What is true about Jesus and his resurrection is always true. It's true everywhere and always that we are one. And so it is so vitally important, especially on this All Saints Sunday, before Tuesday's election, For the church to embody the foundational reality of God. To do justice. To recognize racism. To welcome the stranger. To heal those who are broken. And to reconcile all things and all people together. Last Sunday we sang, uh, a mighty fortress is our God. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. That's what Jesus said. He said, we're not going to die anymore. We're going to be like Christian zombies, if you will. Zombies are those who say, you can't kill me, I'm already dead. Faith says, you can't kill me, I'm alive in God. I don't die. And so in that sense, as important as Tuesday's election is, there is a sense in which it doesn't matter who's elected. Because on Wednesday morning, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus described as angels, children of God, children of the resurrection, we're going to wake up and we're going to continue the work of love. We're going to do this work. We're going to reconcile with sisters and brothers. We're going to find ways to redeem that which was lost. We're going to find ways to restore and reconcile and return And make sure nothing, nothing is lost. For in God, in God, all is well. So we're invited to this table today. Not because we're good enough. Not because we've qualified. But because the gift is always, always there. So come, whether you're here for the first time and don't know what we're doing. If you're hungry for God, come and eat the bread the body of Christ. Drink from the cup, the blood of Christ. And let his life come alive in you. We stand together. We exchange the peace of Christ.